Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way that we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I know that right now you are thinking that there is a technical glitch, right? Uh, wait a minute, they forgot to turn the lights up, but that's not actually true. I asked them to leave the lights at this setting for just a moment. Right now, you can see me, right? But you can't, like, really see me. You, you can see me. You know that I'm standing here. You can, you can see an image of somebody standing here. If you look on the screen, it's, it's pretty dark, right? You can't, you can't, if it wasn't for the hair, you couldn't tell if it's me or Teddy up here right now, right? It, <laughs> But you can see me, but you can't really see me. But on the, on the count of three, you're going to be able to see me in a different way. You ready? One, two, three. Now you can see me more clearly, right? Now you can see the pattern that's on my shirt. You can see some things that you couldn't see before. Now here's a real obvious question, all right? What made the difference? Duh, right? Somebody turned on the lights. Made a huge difference. Well, for the last three weekends, we have been walking through a series in Ephesians chapter 1 called Praying with Purpose. And this weekend, as we bring this series to a close, Paul is teaching us to pray for other Jesus followers that the lights be turned on spiritually. So what we just experienced physically with the lights being turned on, you could see me, but you couldn't really see me, is exactly what Paul is praying in Ephesians chapter 1 for these new believers. The reality here is that the, it, but for the Holy Spirit turning on some lights spiritually, there are truths about God that we would never experience or never understand on our own. You know what it is to be walking with God and the Holy Spirit of God just kind of turn the lights on and you begin to see something about God or understand something about God like you'd never seen it or understood it before. That's exactly what Paul is praying here in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Ephesians chapter 1 and we're going to start reading in verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. I pray... That the eyes of your heart may be, what's the next word? Enlightened. Now, before we read past that, that word enlightened literally means in the Greek language to shine light upon, to make known that which is unknown. Paul says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart, he's praying that spiritually the light would be turned on. 
And it's interesting to note that this may be enlightened is in the passive voice in the Greek language. You say, why is that important? We've said this many times. When a verb is in the active voice, it means the subject is doing the action. But Paul is not here praying that you and I would turn on the lights. This is in the passive voice, which means the subject is receiving the action. What Paul is praying for here is something that only the Holy Spirit of God can do in your heart and mind. There are things about God we'll never discover unless the Holy Spirit of God turns on the light spiritually and reveals that truth to us. And that's exactly what Paul is praying. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. But then look at the next phrase, so that you will, say that word out loud, know. The word know here is a word that means to know by experience. It's a relational term. It's not just simply knowledge that you have in your head. It's knowledge that you've gained by experience. It's knowledge that come, comes through the vehicle of a relationship. Paul is praying here that the Holy Spirit would do a work in the hearts of these believers that would allow them to experience God in new and deeper ways. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here like to get in on that today? Anybody like to experience God in new and deeper ways? That's exactly what Paul is praying for here in the lives of these Christians. Let's go on and read the whole thing of what he says. Start back at the top. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one To come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul brings this prayer to a close. We've been studying it now for the last three weekends, starting in verse 15. Verse 15 all the way to verse 23 is Paul's prayer for these saints, these believers in Ephesus. And what it provides you and I is a great model, a great example of how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Rather than just remember running over to our junk drawer and grabbing some power phrases, Paul is equipping us to pray more strategically for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Last weekend, I said to you that the greatest thing you can pray for another Jesus follower is that they would grow in their intimate knowledge of God. That's what Paul's really praying for here. Paul is praying for these Christians to grow in their love relationship with God. God has not invited you and I into religion. He's invited us into a relationship. And Paul here is praying that we would grow in the intimate knowledge of the Father. He's not here praying that we would have Bible knowledge or theological knowledge necessarily. He's praying for relational knowledge, intimacy with God. 
And we said there are three ways that Paul prays for this intimate knowledge to be cultivated. We looked at two of them last weekend. Let me remind you what they were. Number one, pray that they practically apply the knowledge of God. And what that means is you're praying for other Christians that they would live their lives moment by moment out of the overflow of their intimate fellowship with the Father. So prayerfully this week, you prayed for some other Jesus followers and you prayed that they would apply the intimate knowledge of God, that they would live their lives moment by moment out of the overflow of fellowship with the Father. But there was a second thing that we said last week, and that is that we should pray that they daily pursue the knowledge of God. This was that phrase, wisdom and revelation, in verse 17. We're to pray that they would carve out time daily to pursue intimate fellowship with God. So what we've prayed for other believers so far, we pray they grow in the knowledge of God. How are we praying that? We pray they live moment by moment out of the overflow of intimate fellowship with God. And we pray that they would carve out time daily to pursue the intimate knowledge of God. This week, we're praying that the Holy Spirit who lives in us as we pursue knowing God more intimately, will shine light upon the truth of God so that we may grow to experience Him in new ways that would deepen our fellowship with Him. That's what we're praying this week. The first two things we prayed, may they live moment by moment out of the overflow fellowship with the Father. Secondly, would they carve out time daily and be alone with the Father? And now as I'm doing those two things, Paul says, I'm praying now that the Holy Spirit who lives in you would begin to shine the light of truth in your life so that you can experience, that's that word know by experience, you can experience God in deeper new ways and grow in intimacy with Him. Let me try to illustrate it like this. May the 23rd of 1992, over 26 years ago now, I stood on a stage like this and I uh, said some vows and my wife Christy and I were married. May the 23rd, 1992, over 26 years ago, we were married. And when we got married, I knew my wife. I knew her. I knew Christy. We had known each other a long time. Matter of fact, we met, and 10 months later, we got married. But for 10 months, we spent just about every waking moment together. Every moment that I wasn't in class or work or she wasn't at work, we were together doing something. So, so we grew to know each other. When I married her, you don't marry an absolute stranger, right? If you do, something's wrong with you, okay? That's not the way we do this. You get to know somebody, and then after praying through it and developing the relationship, you decide this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. So that's what we did. So now, for 26 years, we have lived in an intimate relationship together. I now know my wife like I could not have known her on May the 23rd, 1992. Even though I knew her, now we have experienced a lot of life together. And because we've experienced a lot of life together, I've seen her and how she's handled situations and how she's navigated through challenges and circumstances. I've watched the grace that she's demonstrated towards me, which is a lot of grace in 26 years. And so today, I know her like I could have never known her 26 years ago. Does that make sense? If that makes sense, say amen. In a relationship, the more you do life together, those shared experiences, the deeper the knowledge becomes of the other person. 
That is exactly what Paul is praying in these verses. Yes, we know God. Yes, we've come to know him. And yes, we're seeking to live moment by moment out of the overflow fellowship with him. And yes, we're carving out time daily to be alone with him. But Paul is now praying. Paul says, pray that they continuously, here's the third one, they continuously grow deeper in the knowledge of God. Paul is praying that we would grow deeper in our understanding, in our experience with God. And don't miss this. This will only happen through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We're dependent on Him. The Holy Spirit of God, the moment you become a Christian, comes to live inside of you. And now one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit living inside of you is to, as you're moment by moment, throughout the day, living out of the overflow of intimacy with God, the Holy Spirit shines the light of truth to reveal the character of God in the situations and circumstances of your life. When you sit down in the morning and you carve out time to be alone with God, it's the Holy Spirit. You see, our relationship with God is a spiritual relationship, meaning that it requires the Holy Spirit to bring light and illumination and revelation. That's why John wrote it this way in John 16. He was quoting Jesus, but listen to what he said. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the what? The truth. As you and I live our lives with a constant awareness of God, we're living our lives out of the overflow fellowship with God. We're carving out time to be alone with God. The Holy Spirit inside us shines light so that you and I can experience God and grow to know him in new ways. Now, that's the general idea of what Paul is saying we're to pray for here. But Paul gives us three specific areas where he wants us to deepen our knowledge of God. I want to give them to you this morning. Here's the first one. His calling. Did you hear what he said in verse 19? Let's give me verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. The word calling here is a word that, that speaks to the divine call that you and I have received as Christians that introduced us into the privileges of the gospel. This word is used throughout the New Testament to refer to that call of God where he invites us into a personal love relationship with himself. So what Paul is praying here is that we would now grow deeper in our understanding of who we are in Christ. Paul says, man, I'm praying that you would experience God in your everyday life in such a way that it deepens your knowledge of him. And one of the ways I pray that you grow deeper in the knowledge of him is that you grow deeper in understanding the hope of this calling, that you would know all that God has invited you into. It's what verses 3 through 14 is all about. Remember, we looked at that series, Knowing Who We Are, Knowing Who We Are in Christ. Paul here is saying, I'm praying that you would know who you are in Christ. We said it in the series we had before this one. One of the greatest things that could happen in the life of any follower of Jesus is you begin to see yourself the way God sees you. 
If you could begin to understand that you are loved and chosen and accepted and forgiven. And listen, these are not things you're working towards. These are not things you're hoping to attain. Today, you are loved by God. You'll never be more loved by God than you are right now because you're perfect in Christ. Today, you're accepted. Today, you're forgiven. Today, you're redeemed. Today, you're chosen. Today, you've already received an inheritance. All this is already true about you as a follower of Christ. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that you go deeper in your understanding of this. And specifically, he says, I pray you would know the hope of your calling. The word hope is an interesting word. The word hope generally means the desire of something good with the expectation of obtaining it. Let me give you a definition of hope, this one that I came up with that I think applies in a spiritual sense to this word. here. Here's a definition of hope. Read it out loud with me. Confident expectation based on my position in Christ. Do you hear it? Hope is confident expectation based on my position in Christ. Because of my position in the family, there are certain things I can expect with confidence. When I was a kid growing up, one of my favorite days, and to be honest with you, it still is to this day, I love Christmas. I I love Christmas. And my family knows this. I'm like the biggest Christmas nerd in our family. I I have all these things I make us do on Christmas. I love Christmas. And one of the reasons I love Christmas so much when I was a kid is because I knew that my mom and dad loved me and my brother. And I knew that come Christmas morning, it was going to be on, right? There was going to be stuff under the tree. They were going to take care of us. They were going, because of my position in the family, I could hardly sleep on Christmas Eve because I had confident expectation about what was going to happen on Christmas morning. Listen, expectations can be dangerous in a relationship, right? That's why 18th century English poet Alexander Pope said this, Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. (laughs) But here's what Paul is saying. Because of our position in Christ, we can confidently expect some things out of our relationship with God. That's why the Bible writers in three different places said this about God. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 28. Look what it says. Whoever believes in him will not be what? Listen, when you put your hope in him, you will never be disappointed. When you put your confidence in him, you will never be disappointed. The more you pursue knowing God intimately, the more the Holy Spirit reveals to you by experience that you can hope in God. Let me give you a couple of examples of things you can hope for. Because of my relationship with God, because of who I am in Christ... I expect God's faithful provision. I expect it. I've been told I can't expect it in God's word. Let me show it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 24. What the Bible says, Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also what? Bring it to pass. 
Faithful is he. Listen, the Bible says faithful is he. There's that word again, who calls you, who invited you into this relationship. But guess what? He's, all, he's not just faithful in the calling you into this relationship. He's faithful on the other side in bringing everything to pass. We can have confident expectation that God will take care of us. We can know that. Now, I'm not talking about everything we want, okay? This is not name it, claim it, get your garage full of new cars. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But the promise of Scripture is that God will meet your needs. God will take care of us. When Christy and I first got married, uh, three months into getting married, we got pregnant with our first child, Hannah, who leads in worship up here on Sunday mornings. And, and, and when we got pregnant with Hannah, it wasn't our plan. We had a plan to wait five years, finish school, put some money in the bank, and you know how those plans go, right? So our plan, the Lord shot it right in the head. Three months into getting married, we get pregnant with, with Hannah, and so now it's game on. But, but so, so we're expecting this little baby, and we don't have any money in the bank. I'm still in school. We're so poor that I'm, I'm not, my last year and a half of college, I didn't even buy textbooks. I just went to class, took good notes, did the best I could. We couldn't afford the books. So um, I don't know, it was Christy, three or four or five months into the pregnancy, Christy was having some irregular heartbeats. And so the doctor wanted to put her on a 24-hour heart monitor that she carried with her around it. It just kind of hung over her shoulder and it attached and it monitored her heart rate for 24 hours so they could test it. And they did that and everything turned out okay. And then we got the bill for that 24-hour heart monitor. And this doesn't sound like a lot of money to you today, but I'm telling you to me in, in that year in, in 1992, the amount of $623 was a lot of money. That was almost a month's salary for me and the job that I was working at the time. So $623 bill, and we were a newly married couple, got this brand new baby on the way, and we'd already made some decisions. We'd been mentored and discipled to give, so even though we had very little, we'd carved out 10% of everything that came in, and we were giving that faithfully. And then I get this $623 bill, and I'm like, Lord, this wasn't part of the deal here. But we prayed about it, said, okay, Lord, we're going to trust you. And the next week, got a, a tax return check back from the previous year's taxes. And, and listen, we just got married, so this is all new for me. I, I didn't know we were getting money back. I didn't, I didn't know all this stuff yet. So we get money back. The bill was $623. We got $628 in the check. And so, so God paid the bill and gave us $5 to go to McDonald's on, right? <laughs> but, but here's why I'm telling you this. Here's why I'm telling you this story. I'll never forget, I'm, I'm a new husband, new dad, got this bill. I'm driving across, there's a, there's a bridge in my hometown called O'Neill Bridge. It crosses over the, the, the Tennessee River. And I'm driving across O'Neill Bridge and I'm heading home. And before the, the check came in from the tax return, I'm, I'm in my car and out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit of God says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. What does it say? Want. want. I shall not want. And listen, I can't explain this other than 
the Holy Spirit of God turned on the light. And I saw that verse like I had never seen it before. And I experienced God. And then we get this check in the mail the next week. And man, we're dancing around the living room like God is unbelievable. Like he literally does what he said he was going to do. And here's what happened. Because the Holy Spirit turned on the light in that moment, it's now created an ability for us. Now for 26 years, we've been able to have a confident expectation. When we are simply obedient to what God speaks into our lives, he will take care of the rest. Paul is praying that as Christians, we would have a confident expectation about the calling that we... Here's another way you can can have confident expectation. You You can expect God's sovereign protection. You can expect God's sovereign protection. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his what? His purpose. Here's what that means. Everything in your life today has been filtered through the loving hands of God. It is for your good and his glory, even when it doesn't feel like it. So because of who I am in Christ, I don't have to be shaken by the circumstances in my life today. My apple cart does not have to be turned over because some things didn't go the way I thought they were going to go. I can have a confident expectation that it is all for my good and for his glory because of my hope in his calling. I'm standing here today, and I, I, there's another story. I don't have time to tell you all the details of it, but, but this is not the first church that I pastored. I pastored a smaller church in a small town in Tennessee when I was 23 years old. I was the senior pastor of this church. I know that sounds crazy. It's crazy today, but back then it just seemed normal. So I was 23 years old, became the senior pastor of a church in a town of 4,000 people. Church began to explode and grow. What I didn't realize as a 23-year-old pastor was that everybody doesn't get excited when the church explodes and grows. I know that now. Nobody told me that in seminary. I thought people getting saved, more people in church, everybody be happy with that. But not everybody's happy when that happens. And that's still true today in Las Vegas. That's not just Tennessee. We have people leave our church sometimes. They say, well, it's getting too big. (laughs) Getting too big. You know what's funny? Everybody draws that line somewhere behind where they got in. I'm just being honest. But I'm in this church. It's growing. People being saved. Church didn't like it. Some of the leadership didn't like it. Long story short, three and a half years after pastoring that church, seeing it grow to run almost a fourth of the town in the church, they forced me and my whole staff team to leave. Told some lies about my family. It was ugly. It was dark. I wanted to quit ministry. I was done. I'm going to tell you, it did not feel good. But I would have never relocated my family to Las Vegas, Nevada had God not not taken us through that valley. And look, I stand here today and I look around and I go, you know what? Man, it was good. It was good. What the enemy may have intended for evil, God meant for good. And because I've experienced that and I've had the light of the Holy Spirit of God show me that, now I have expectation. When I'm in the middle of one of those situations, like like we were in when we moved in this building and and we'd been in this building for three months and I'm standing in the middle of the campus up to my waist in water where it's all been flooded. When stuff like that happens, here's what you can know. God is sovereign. He's in control and he's good and you can trust him. What is that? It's the hope of his calling and it's what you and I will only know and experience 
experience as we walk with God moment by moment and the Holy Spirit turns on the light and shows us the truth about who God is. But let me tell you something. Once you've been through one of those moments and the Holy Spirit turned on the light, just bring on the next one, right? Because I'm ready now. He done showed me something about God I didn't know before. Now I'm in the middle of it with expectancy saying, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Amen? Y'all got to listen faster. Here's the second thing. (laughs) Not only his calling, but his inheritance. His inheritance. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul here is referring to the, the reality that we have an inheritance in him. Everything that belongs to him now belongs to me. Why? Because I'm in the family. Paul says it's abundant. He talks about these riches. Paul says it's glorious. He talks about the glory of this inheritance. Paul writes about it in another place in Romans 8. Listen to what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here's what that means. Whatever you're facing today, when you compare it to what's happening in eternity, you can't even compare it. He didn't say it's just a little bit better. He said it's like trying to compare an apple to a house. There's just no comparison. What's coming in eternity? So here's what Paul is praying here. Paul is praying that by the work of the Holy Spirit, we would live our lives in light of eternity. Randy Alcorn said it this way. Five minutes after we die, we'll know exactly how we should have lived. But God has given us his word so we don't have to wait to die to find out. Ask yourself, five minutes after I die, what will I wish I would have given away while I still had the chance? When you come up with the answer, why not give it away now? Why not spend the rest of our lives closing the gap between what we'll wish we would have given and what we really or what we are really giving? Paul is praying that as we grow in the knowledge of what we have to come, that we'd realize this life isn't all there is. There's something coming, and we need to live today in light of what's coming. Let me give you a few things that 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 um will change in our lives when we live in light of eternity. Here's the first one. When we live in light of eternity, lost people matter. Here's what I mean by that. I want you to listen carefully. Ultimately, ultimately, people are not Republicans and Democrats. Ultimately, people are not conservatives or liberals. Ultimately, people are not Americans or foreigners. Ultimately, people are not black or white. Ultimately, people are either saved by the grace of Jesus Christ or they are lost and in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And when you and I begin to live in light of eternity, we care less about whether or not they are Republican or Democrat or black or white, and we care more about whether or not they are lost or saved. Listen, we have a mission, and the mission is the Great Commission. That's the mission. And when we begin to live in light of eternity, lost people matter. Here's the second one. When we live in light of eternity, laying up treasure in heaven matters. You've heard it said, you can't take it with you. That's true, but you can send it on ahead. 
As you invest in God's kingdom today, the Bible says, Jesus said, you are laying up your treasure in heaven. And Jim Elliott said, he is no fool. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here's a third one. When we live in light of eternity, loving others in God's family matters. I want you to look around you. You're going to spend eternity with these people. You just well start loving them now. We're going to be together a really long time. Now, heaven's a big place. We may not have to be side by side all the time, all right? We're still going to be people. But we need to learn to, when you live in light of eternity, loving others in God's family matters. And we could, we could do board after board of this list, but, but here's, here's just a few. When we live in light of eternity, lost people matter. Laying up treasure in heaven matters. And loving people in God's family matters. Here's what Paul's praying. That as you grow in the intimate knowledge of God, you begin to live in light of eternity. Here's the third and final thing Paul's praying. Paul prays not only that we would grow to know more about his calling, his inheritance, but thirdly, his power. His power. Paul says in verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power? You hear how Paul is just piling on the words? He could have just said, and what is his power? He could have just said, what is the greatness of his power? But he said, what is the surpassing greatness of his power? Curtis Vaughn, one writer said this, this heaping up of words suggests the idea of power the very telling of which exhausts the resources of language and ultimately defies description. Paul here is praying that you would know by experience through the Holy Spirit the surpassing greatness of the power of God that is available to you in Christ. I think if Christians simply understood that God has made available to you in Christ the power of himself. You say, how big is this power? Well, Paul, later on in this same letter of Ephesians, listen to what he's going to say about it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within, where? Us. Here's what that means. You dream it, you think it. His power is bigger than that. It's bigger than that. There's no limit to his power. And here's what Paul is saying. Because of who you are in Christ, you now have access to call on the almighty power of God. Just how big is this power? Well, Paul says, the power of God that now resides in you through the Holy Spirit is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to read you verse 19 and 20 here out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly 
realm. As this text goes on, it describes where Jesus is now seated with all rule, all authority, all dominion. Here's what Paul is saying. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that seated him at the right hand of the Father, the same power that's given him dominion over everything in the universe, the same power that's given him rule over the church is the same power that now lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't think most of you got it. (laughs) Listen to what Andrew Murray said. Andrew Murray said, Christ had supernatural power. The power of heaven. The power of holiness. The power of fellowship with God. Listen. And Christ can give me grace to live as he lived. Here's what that means. You and I have access to the power of God. Here's what that means. Whatever you're facing today, you have access to the supernatural, surpassing greatness of the power of God. You need need the healing power of God in your life today. Maybe you need God's healing touch. Here's what the Scripture is teaching us. Paul says, I pray you would know the power. That you would know by experience the power. You have access to call on the power of God for healing. Do you need today the reconciling power of God? Maybe you're living in a situation where your marriage is on the brink of failure. And it looks dead. Listen to me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can breathe life into your marriage today if you call on Him. Maybe you need the reconciling power of God in a relationship with a child who is far from God. And because they're far from God, the fellowship with you is broken. Because you love God, they resent you. They resent what you love. And you look at your relationship with your child and and you think back to when they were little and you say, man, it'll never be like that again. Listen, I'm telling you, you have access to the reconciling power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father is the same power that you can call on today. Do you need the forgiving power of God? Maybe today you've been hurt. You've been wounded. And you think, I don't have the power to forgive. And that lack of forgiveness has developed the root of bitterness in your own heart. And it is holding you back. Listen, you're right. You don't have the power to forgive in your own strength. But you have access. You have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And seated him at the right hand of the Father. That forgiving power can be made manifest in and through your life. Do you need the providing power of God today? Maybe you need God to provide. Maybe you need a job. Maybe you need financial help. Maybe you need a place to live. I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. You have access today 
to the almighty, surpassing greatness of the power of God. And here's what Paul's saying. I'm praying that you know it by experience. That the Holy Spirit would turn on the lights and you would see who your God is. Let's pray together today. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak as only you can. With no one looking around right now but me, I want you to just be in a spirit of prayer as you sit quietly before the Lord. Just a moment. We're going to stand and sing a song of worship. It's going to be an opportunity to respond. And listen, we're going to open these altars up here at the front. If you need to call out on the power of God today, listen, these altars are going to be open. You just come. You come get in one of these altars and you just cry out to the power of God to move in your life in a unique and profound way. If you want to pray with one of our pastors, we're going to be here at the front. You can come. We'd be honored to pray for you and with you. For many of you this morning, maybe you're not already a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus yet. You don't know what it means to walk with God and to experience God and to know God. If you don't know Jesus today, listen, the the Bible teaches us that God loves you. And God loves you so much that even though you've sinned against God and I've sinned against God, He loves us anyway. He loves us so much, the Bible says He gave His Son. Jesus, to come into this world, die on a cross for your sin and my sin, rise again from the dead. And the Bible says if you and I will simply put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can be born again into relationship with God. If you don't know him today, but you want to experience, you say, I don't know, man. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I don't know if God can save me. Listen, the power of God can save you today. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can bring you to life spiritually you got to call on him in faith. If you don't know Jesus today, when we stand and begin to sing this song of worship, I want to invite you to come to one of our pastors today. And here's all you need to say. Just say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. Lord, have your way in this moment. Speak to us as only you can. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus, I pray they would respond right now and come to know Christ. I pray that as soon as we stand, they would come to one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus. Lord, I pray for believers that need a fresh touch of the power of God today. Lord, as they cry out to you, would you do what only you can do? God, we believe, we believe, we believe. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.